Hey everyone, John Wertheim here at the U.S. Open with my co-conspirator Jamie Lasanti. It is Friday, the day of the men's semis. We are recording this during a very strange match so far. That may turn around, this may be obsolete, but after the first 45 minutes or so, this may be one of the stranger matches I've ever seen, Jamie Lasanti. Monfils and Djokovic, at least I think it's Monfils, I think maybe it's an imposter who they just yanked off a court in Canarsie, because this does not look like the player who came into this match not having dropped a set. He has dropped a set now, and he's close to number two. And he also looked like he was going to either walk off the court and retire, or... It's been bizarre. <laughs> I'm sure we'll know more about this match when they get off the court. I suspect the chair umpire at the changeover is consulting the best effort rules in the rule book. But anyway, this is just uh, another twist in what has been a fairly strange tournament. They all are in their way. We have no Nike-sponsored player in the women's final or the men's semis, which is a bit of marketing trivia. But to me, that also tells you plenty about these strange results. We have only one member of the Big Four left in the semis. That's Djokovic, the last time that only one Big Four member made the round of four, 2010 French Open. So that was uh, a long time ago. Nadal won that, so um, we preserved the uh, the Big Four reign at that event. But uh, it, it's been it's been strange times here. We have no Serena Williams in the final for the first time since a year ago, and in that span, she's only won one major. That was Wimbledon, of course. Um, we have a Kerber. Pliskova women's final, which I can't think a lot of people predicted. Andy Murray had this terrific summer Wimbledon title, Olympic gold medal. He went out under strange circumstances. I was going to say he went out with a whimper, but he went out with a gong and then a whimper, uh, losing in five to Kenya Shikori. It's been a strange event. I think we had a sense that with no Roger Federer, with a lot of injury questions, with no Maria Sharapova, this was going to be an event of transition, and that is essentially what's happened. Indeed. We also have a new number one. We have a new number one. Um, I've already gotten a bunch of questions on this, and I think to the casual fan, they hear Angie Kerber, and they're wondering what's going on here, and this is some crazy fancy tennis math, or maybe this is Serena not playing enough events. The truth is, Kerber's been the number one player this year. This isn't one of these quirks of the computer. I mean, the, the WTA went through a period where we had... Three or four. We had three or four number ones in a span that did not win a major. That wasn't a particularly good look. Ana Ivanovic got to number one after winning a major, the 2008 French, and then didn't come close to winning another major after that. This number one for Angie Kerber is absolutely legit. This will be the third straight, the third major this year that she reached the final. She reached the final of the Olympics as well before losing to Monica Puig. So regardless of how she plays, Saturday's match, she will have gotten to the last round of four of the five biggest events. She took down Serena in Australia, obviously, and had a very competitive final against Serena in at Wimbledon. So this number one ranking is completely well-deserved. I like her game. I like her professionalism, this event, and good for Angie Kerber. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes we we talk about players where you walk the grounds here, and there's a lot of sort of aspirational stuff. I want to be Serena one day. I want to play like Nadal. I want to be Federer. For a lot of players, both on the tour and coming up and juniors, 
Angie Kerber is a much more realistic aspiration. Here's a player who's just maxed out her game. She's not a hulking physical presence. She doesn't hit a huge ball. She's benefited by her left-handedness, but she gets herself into shape. She discharges, you know, she discharges her duties like a pro. She's a good tactical player. She's a good mover, and you can go a long way with that. So I think we all uh, big big props to Serena for going more than three years at the top spot. I think I tweeted this last night that if you if you can, if you're number one in any profession for three years, um, that's that's a hell of an achievement. Uh, but Angie Kerber's number one ranking is thoroughly well deserved. We'll see if she can do what she couldn't do in Rio and couldn't do in Cincinnati three weeks ago and uh, win the last match of a tournament. But she gets her Rio, she gets her Cincy rematch, and uh, she'll leave this tournament regardless with the number one ranking. Good. For Angie Kerber. She is also the oldest new number one at 28, which is seems young as compared to Serena, who's there almost 35. But what I thought was interesting about Kerber's kind of thing, and you say that she's a good role model, was that, you know, she's was known to sort of get angry at herself on the court and really get down on herself and get negative and sort of show her opponents that she was getting really down and and they took advantage of that and that was why she wasn't able to win and so she said it was something that she she worked on so for these younger players who are trying to aspire to be someone I think that's a good role model someone who sort of uh really overcame I like that she was she was a bit of a high the other thing too is remember for four or five years when she started her career she was a very middling player I mean she would barely play 500 ball out here and then five years ago at the U.S. Open she really had her breakthrough she got all the way to the semifinals we thought this was one of these surprise semifinalists hey remember the time when Angie Kerber got to the round of four hey trivia question who was the German player who came out of nowhere to get to the round of four and it had the opposite effect she really built on that and has been a fixture at the top of the game for the last four or five years. Serena had two times the amount of points as the number two player, right, heading into at the beginning of this year. Is that correct? So after last year? uh, I'll give you a better one. At this time last year, the points differential separating Serena Williams and the number two player was bigger than the point differential separating the number two player and the number 1,000 player. So um, that's a good point, Jamie Lasanti. Serena um, deserves all sorts of credit for this extended reign, but Angie Kerber has made up a lot of ground. Exactly. And for, you know, for Serena Williams, this was two disappointing U.S. Opens in a row. Last year, I think that's going to be one of the most bitter losses of her career, and I think that was clearly a case of nerves, and I think details have come out about just how paralyzed, I mean, just incapacitated she by was. nervousness Serena was. Last night was a much different story. I mean, a much different player. I mean, you could hardly... Find a more different player, uh, Pliskova versus Roberta Vinci. But last night, I think this was much more a question of just Serena playing back to back nights. And she said it wasn't an issue, though. I, you know, she she said that, but mean, but others in her camp were worried about it before the match. And I don't know if you saw Patrick's remarks uh, afterwards, his interview with ESPN. Very quickly, I've never seen her move like that in my life. That to me says she just didn't recover from that three-setter against Holop. It was too bad, too, because I thought for the first four rounds, we got vintage Serena. I mean, just untouchable. Tournament ace leader, no breaks of serve. 
just kind of Serena at her prime, and if she's 34 years old, you never would have known it. I mean, just showcase matches, get through them. The average time on court, I think, was 61 minutes for her first four matches. Then against Halep, it was much different. But she beat a top player and had to fight and moved around the court and they had some very nice points and mm-hmm. stole the Great momentum match. back. Great match, right? High-quality match. Serena served bombs. I, mean, I think she had 18 aces was the final tally. And you said, okay, this was one of these matches, step up in competition, and Serena answered the bell. And then last night was just flat, flat, flat from the start. And you still thought, even deep in that tiebreaker, you still thought if she just had a couple of, you know, a couple of winning serves, a couple of lucky bounces, one of the, you know, tee off on a backhand return off a second serve, do her knee in the air, fist pump, crowd goes crazy. Runs away with this in three sets. Yep. Um, and then all of a sudden, bang, it was over. And uh, so much for Serena Williams. So I, I don't think... Uh, I, I mean, I think if she looks back at her year, it's going to be a disappointment. After coming within two matches of winning the Grand Slam, she's not going to be happy having won only one this year. And yet, there weren't any really awful losses. It's clearly all about the slams for her right now. Mm-hmm. And if she plays four to six other events, it's because she's being a good corporate citizen for the WTA, or perhaps there's a uh, appearance fee booty tied in there. But it's all about the majors for Serena. We all know that. And she has six strong matches in Australia and can't close in the seventh. Six strong matches at the French. Much better French Open this year than last year when she won. Can't close against Mugu in the final. Plays well enough to win Wimbledon. Olympics were a disappointment, but shoulder, and then here, five strong matches, couldn't close in the season. So my point, my point is, she's playing deep into these tournaments. It's not, um, you know, we've seen athletes at the tail end of their career, and it's been excruciating, and they're watching, you know, they're Amazing. winning a round or two, and then uh, it, it's embarrassing to watch. This is not the case. It's just she hasn't been able to close, especially for a player that always was such a good closer. It's um it's it's been a tough tough year for her. I think we'll see her back. What about that injury? <clears throat> I I think last year she lost here and basically took the rest of the year off and mm-hmm. said, you know, I'm I'm done. My body is more important than playing events in Asia. I would not be surprised if uh, she did the same. We don't see her again till Australia, and I think that's that's just the reality of where she is in her career and what her priorities are. And I'm not sure. You know, it would it would be great if she played every week, but if you look looked at objectively as a thirty five year old chasing history, is she really is it really smart to uh, to play before Australia? How serious this serious knee injury? How serious do you think it is? Do you think have you have you heard any more chatter about for, could it be for some- Serena? I I have not, and clearly something was bothering her last night. Tennis injuries are, are funny things. Sometimes, uh, you know, Novak Djokovic, you say you say wrist injury, Novak Djokovic, you look at the way he hits his backhand, you listen to what his camp was sort of murmuring before the event, and you say, boy, this, this guy isn't going to be here by the middle weekend. And now here you and I are, as we say this live, he is a set away from yet another U.S. Open final. In this, his 10th? Straight U.S. Open semi? Could that be right? Really? I like Djokovic sure plays well at these hardcourt slams, doesn't he? Um, so who knows? My, my point being, who, who knows about tennis injuries? Um, 
But, I mean, I, I think it's probably a longer other conversation about just how banged up these players are. I was going to ask you about that because that was something that I thought was a nice general topic we could talk about that had nothing to do with results. Yeah, I, it's very hard to sort of talk about this in, in the absence of data, I'm, I'm realizing. But just anecdotally, I've never seen an event like this. Every year it seems to get worse. Injuries are a part of every match story. I mean, you name me a player, and we can run through what their state of physical ailment is. And some of this is probably hard courts, and some of it is probably a schedule that's even more busy. Mm-hmm. In an Olympic year, and it's polyester strings and overtraining, whatever it is, I think tennis needs to take a look at itself and figure out why it is that so many players are banged up, that so many matches are being determined not by who's better at striking the ball or playing tennis, but who's healthier. We had a night session where Wozniacki's opponent was injured, mm. and uh, it was the competitive match. And then Sanga and Djokovic played two sets, and Sanga said, that's it for me, folks. Are injuries more common than they were 10, 20 years ago? It's a tougher case to sort of make that empirically. But just anecdotally, as a tennis fan, as someone who follows this, as someone who sees these players walking the tunnels here, grimacing and with ice bags and its shoulders and elbows and knees and feet, um, I think tennis needs to ask itself why so many players are getting hurt. Do you think that this is a tennis problem, though? Because it makes me think of the NBA and the NBA season, 82, 83-plus games, whatever it is back-to-back some nights, you know, you're flying from the West Coast to the East Coast and back to the West Coast again, and you've got, obviously it's a team sport, but you have people that you see all the time and you hear it, you know, so-and-so's not playing tonight because they've got stomach bug or they have this or, you know, they, they do rest and I'm sure they walk around with ice bags on shoulders and knees and things. So do you, do you think it's a tennis problem? Do you think that there is something about tennis that makes this a little bit more of a problem Yeah, I mean, here? someone said the same thing to me. They said, you know, for, I, mean, I don't know, look at Cam Newton last night in the NFL game or, you know, the name your NBA uh you know, whatever. Chris Chris Paul and Blake Griffin both go out, and there goes the Clippers' playoff run. There are a few differences. One of them is that there's still going to be a game whether or not Tim Duncan has a stomach bug. Second of all, the players are still going to get paid. I mean, I don't know how the players are putting up with this and why the players aren't demanding more safety and more protections and more investigation. That if you're... Pick, pick me an injured player. Sloan, Sloan Stevens didn't make money on the U.S. Open this year. Mm-hmm. Um that's not true when you have guaranteed contracts. The the other thing though is that I just I feel like when this happens in other sports, the NBA's collective bargaining agreement is going to come open and they're going to argue over who splits this money and what the revenue split is, but they're going to talk about work conditions. The players want a shorter season. The NFL owners try to make it an 18 game season instead of a 16 game season and the union fights back. I don't know who is re- so my point is when other players have these health and safety and you're making us work too hard issues. There's a union that supports them and says not so fast. I don't know who's representing the players' interests here. I mean, they don't have a formal union. And the ATP kind of sort of is a union, but it also kind of sort of represents tournaments that wants more sets played and more matches and more events. This sounds um, like a conflict of interest. Sounds like a conflict <laughs> of interest, doesn't it? I... Um, 
I'm not quite sure why the players aren't more upset about this. Someone said to me, they said, well, the top players aren't worried about it. And you say, well, the top players, of course. The top in any profession, they don't want to change anything. I mean, the wealthiest Americans don't want to change the tax code, or if they do, they want it slashed. I mean, the, you ask the top people in any endeavor what they think of the circumstances. Hey, things are going great. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't change anything. Ask Kevin Anderson or ask Sloan Stevens or ask a player ranked number 40 who was banking on making a couple hundred thousand dollars this year who didn't do it and had to fire their coach and um, you know maybe even take out loans, how they feel about it, and it's, it's a different conversation. But um, All right, a longer topic for, uh, for another podcast. Here's where we are. Let's go back and watch this third set. Djokovic is beating Monfils in a match that I can only hope has gotten less strange and more competitive since we entered this podcast, but that does not seem to be the case. I'm sure there'll be some uh, conversation to fall out after this. Stan and Nishikori are coming up next. Women's final tomorrow. Who you got? Again, I think this is Kerber's title, and I think she needs to, uh, I think it would really help validate her top ranking by walking out of here with the trophy. And I also hope she wins in the, only in the sense that if she says, I've won a silver medal, was a runner-up at Wimbledon, and took two slams, no one's going to question the uh, validity of this top ranking. So it's been an interesting tournament. Uh, themes of transition. Um, it looks like Djokovic will play for a title, so we may have still another big four title. He may defend. He'll have won three or four majors this year. Um, so it doesn't seem like there's a huge changing of the guard on the men's side. Having said that, strange only having one of those four guys in the semifinals. Again, I, this is sort of a trivia question that there's no Nike athlete remaining in the tournament, but I also think that's indicative of uh, some of the shifts at this U.S. Open. Jamie, you did terrific work these last two weeks. As did you, oh, on TV stop. and in writing form. No one's working the salt mines, is what I always say. All right, we will have a uh, special guest next week. We have a rumored NBA uh, Hall of Famer who might be stopping by. We're still trying to uh, confirm that, but if not, we'll have another guest. Martina Navratilova has graciously agreed to join us one of these weeks coming up soon, so she'll be on. Thanks, as always, for listening, everyone. Thanks for your feedback. Enjoy the last few days of the 2016 U.S. Open. I'm John Wertheim. She's Jamie Lasanti. I've been monologuing. Time to watch the third. Mm-hmm.